0: We're in the book of Ruth again this morning. This is our third Sunday. We get to the happy ending this week. The happy ending for Ruth and look forward to our happy ending in Christ. Doug and I were except we were all just talking about the fact that the best is yet to come. You know? Whatever the situation, the best is yet to come. There may be some rough times between now and the best, but the best is been assured we're we'll going to talk about that this morning. Um, we'll be in the Book of Ruth, but what I'd like to do before we start this morning is to give you a little bit of groundwork. It's, I guess it's a weakness of mine, a couple weeks ago, I, and I told Betty I'm going to tell you this this morning, we left a couple of weeks ago after the first Sunday and she said, man, you're trying to preach the whole Bible. <laughs> but... My heart for us as God's people is that we see the big picture. Because if we don't, we're going to get lost in the minutia of life. And the things that really don't matter are going to get too big. And the things that really do matter are we're going to lose sight of those things. So I'll try not to give you too much scripture this morning, but um, I just especially this morning, we're talking about the story we talked about all of us have a story. and The only way our story really makes any sense is if we see it as a part of the story. Christ's story. The story of redemption that runs from Genesis 1 all the way through to Revelation 22. It runs through all the way through human history. And if we really want to understand that story of redemption, we have to understand what that word means. It doesn't make, in our society, we don't use that word. I mean, back when I was a kid, you redeemed green stamps. You know, you take your little books in and you could redeem the stamps. But that's really got nothing to do. The sense is totally different than the biblical sense. So before I read Ruth chapters 3 and 4, I want to take you back to Leviticus 25. I'd like you to think as we start about a time in your life, or maybe several times in your life, when you were in a real jam, when you were in an impossible situation. Either by your own doing or someone else's doing, you found yourself in a situation that you had no way of getting out of. There was no way you were going to get yourself out of that mess. And somehow, some way, somebody else stepped in and got you out of the mess. Might have been your parents, might have been your spouse, might have been some a friend. Anyway, just think of that. That's kind of the backdrop of where we're going this morning with the idea of, of redemption. And I just want to thank the worship team this morning. The the songs I don't know if you noticed the songs was full of redemption this morning. And the church is at its best when we together praise our redeemer. Praise God for what he's done for us. So thanks for that this morning. Okay, Leviticus 25, we're just a couple sections in Leviticus 25, and then we're going to go to Deuteronomy 25 for just a bit. I'm not going to give a whole sermon, but I want you to see that all the, you know, those books that are full of stuff that just makes no sense really do make sense in the big picture. We're going to talk about redemption and what it meant in Israel. And the basic elements of redemption, which is to redeem something. And the word just means to buy, okay? But in, in the whole Bible, it's, it's Old Testament here, it means that something has been lost. You lost something. You either lost your property or you lost your personal liberty. Those are the two main things we're going to read about this morning. And you don't have the wherewithal, you don't have the resources to make buy buy yourself back or buy your property back to get back to the way things were. And so one of your relatives, one of your close relatives will step in and get you out of the jam. That's basically what redemption is in the Old Testament. So I'm just gonna read these real briefly, quickly. And just so you can see where we're coming from when we get to the book of Ruth, okay? Because in Ruth, it's, there's kind of a mixture of a few things going on when they're talking about redemption. So Leviticus 25, verses 23 to 25. The land shall not be sold in perpetuity, for the land is mine. Perpetuity means forever. You can't sell the land and just have it forever. It won't be sold in perpetuity, for the land is mine. For you are strangers and sojourners with me. And in all the country you possess, you shall allow a redemption of the land. Verse 25, if your brother becomes poor and sells part of his property, then his nearest redeemer shall come and redeem what his brother has sold. Because okay, that was laid down in the law, okay? Then in verse 47 through 49, 23 to 25 talk about property. 47 to 49 talks about slave, personal slavery, okay? Okay? If a stranger or sojourner, verse 47, if a stranger or sojourner with you becomes rich, and your brother beside him becomes poor, and sells himself to the stranger or sojourner with you, or to a member of the stranger's clan, then after he's sold, he may be redeemed. One of his brothers may redeem him, or his uncle, or his cousin may redeem him, or a close relative from his clan may redeem him. Or if he grows rich, he may redeem himself. But there is a provision there that a relative could step in at any moment and get that person out of the problem, get them out of slavery. It, it, was, it was required. So that's the basic law of redemption in terms of property or slavery. Now, if we really want to understand more of what's going on in the book of Ruth, and we're going to read it in a minute. I have to take it to Deuteronomy 25 for just a second. Verses 5 and 6. Now, some of you know all this already. So just bear with me, because I think it's important that we all get on the same page before we read this story, or the story really isn't going to make a whole lot of sense to us. And this is talking about what people call leverant marriage. This won't be on the final exam, you don't have to remember that word. But that's, if you ever hear levirate marriage, that's what it's talking about. It's got nothing to do with the Levites. It's just talking about, in a lot of cultures, there was a real concern that a person's name continued on generation after generation. Well, there was a big problem since the name came through the male of the family. There was a big problem if somebody died without having a son. And so in these societies that really wanted to reinforce the idea of of your clan and, and everybody's name being carried on, they had to find a way to continue that on. And so the Lord made provision here In this passage, for what do you do if a man dies without having somebody to carry his name on? And so that's what we call leopard marriage. Deuteronomy 25, 5 and 6. If brothers dwell together and one of them dies and has no son, the wife of the dead man shall not be married outside the family to a stranger. Her husband's brother shall go into her and take her as his wife and perform the duty of a husband's brother to her. And the first son whom she bears shall succeed to the name of his dead brother, that his name may not be blotted out of Israel. So there's the back. One. Now let's go to let's go to the happy ending here in Ruth, chapters 3 and 4. You remember the story up till now. We've got Naomi and Ruth have come back to Israel. Naomi is a widow who lost her husband and her two sons and who was really bitter about it she came back to israel but her daughter-in-law who was also a widow ruth was a moabite not not an israeli not a jew she chose to come back and chose of her own will to become a servant to her mother-in-law to love her mother-in-law and give up her own future to serve naomi an expression of true love and all true love involves substitutionary sacrifice in all true love you give up something so that the person you love doesn't suffer as much and Ruth did that in spades and so she comes back and she begins gleaning the fields to care for her mother-in-law. this would come to it's toward the end of the harvest here in chapter 3 verse one. this is God's word and father since it's your word we ask your holy Spirit, to make it come alive in the true sense, Lord, in an eternal sense, that it wouldn't just be a good story, a nice story, which it is. It's beautiful, Lord, but there's more to it than we can grasp with our minds. I pray our minds would be fully engaged this morning, but that our hearts would be as well, and that you would reveal our Redeemer to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, that is to Ruth, my daughter, should I not seek rest for you that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative with whose young women you were? See, he's winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash yourself and anoint yourself and put on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, all that you say, I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother in law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are your redeemer. And he said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You've made this last kindness greater than the first, and that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it's true that I am a redeemer. Yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight, and in the morning, if he will redeem you good, let him do it. But if he's not willing to redeem you, then, as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. So she laid his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another, and he said, Let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, Bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it, and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, How did you fare, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, These six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said to me, You must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. She replied, wait, my daughter, wait until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. Chapter four. Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there, and behold, the Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. And so they sat down. To confirm a transaction, the one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other, and this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, Buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, You are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech, and all that belonged to Kilian and to Malan. Also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malan, I have bought to be my wife, to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make this the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez whom Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this woman. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son be, is, has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Abinadab. Abinadab fathered Nation. Nation fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed, Father Jesse, and Jesse, Father David. I'd like to look at three, three um, aspects of redemption. First, what redemption meant to Ruth and Naomi. And then just a little bit of what redemption meant to the nation of Israel. And finally, what that redemption means to you and to me as human beings. The story's pretty well known. You know the story. Naomi has an idea and Naomi reciprocates the love that Ruth has given her by telling her, okay, this is how we do it in Israel. This is, I've got a solution for you so that you can find rest. Now, Boaz had already said in chapter two that that, Naomi, that Ruth had come to find rest under the wings of Jehovah. But now we're going to see how that works out in practicality. And so Ruth, get her, Naomi gives Ruth the advice on what to do. And this, Ruth does exactly what she's told. She goes there and at the harvest, the men slept at at the end of the harvest and would sleep by the grain pile so that people wouldn't steal it until they got it shipped away to where it needed to be stored. And so that's what Boaz does. And it it was a time of celebration and he was pretty happy when he went down, laid down there by the grain. And and Ruth does exactly what she's told. And she goes and she crawls under the corner of his garment and she just lays there at his feet and he wakes up and there's a woman there it probably happened a lot during harvest time we're in the book of judges you read through the book of judges you kind of get the idea. and boaz doesn't know who it is and it's dark and so he asks and she's she makes this appeal to him down here in verse nine she says i'm ruth your servant spread your wings it could mean the corners of your garment it would mean both in that society over your servant for you are, rede- are a redeemer now a lot of times even in this book of Ruth the word is translated redeemer but the word just means kinsman because in the, in those societies in those Oriental societies if you were a kinsman you were a redeemer that was just the same thing the same word is translated avenger in other places in the Old Testament there were just certain responsibilities you had because you were part of a client because you were part of a family Those were that's what you did and so she says here, literally, you are a redeemer or you are a kinsman, okay? She's basically offering herself as a wife to Boaz so that Naomi's family can continue on in Israel. We talked last week about her sacrifice. This is the ultimate sacrifice. She gave herself up for the rest of her life so that Elimelech's family could go on. And Boaz, worthy man that he is, as it says in chapter 2, verse 1, says he was a worthy man. He doesn't take advantage of her. He, he just recognizes the offer and says, okay, we're going we're gonna to make this happen. We're going to see that this takes place because I know you're just not coming to climb under my blanket because you're chasing men around, around Bethlehem. It doesn't say it exactly that way, but that's the idea there. Everybody knows you're a woman, worthy woman, he says. You haven't been running around. You've done this for your mother-in-law. So we're going to make sure it happens. Stay here, verse 13. And in the morning, if the other redeemer, the kinsman who's closer, now we don't know if the other one was a cousin or, and Boaz was a second cousin or how that works, an uncle or whatever, we don't have the details. But we know there was somebody who had first right who wasn't Boaz. And Boaz says, we'll make sure it happens. Whether he does it or I do it, we're going to make sure that this responsibility is taken care of. So she stays there, and in the morning, Boaz, who has protected her out in the fields before by saying, stay close to my servant girl so that nobody hurts you, has provided for her before and given her grain to take home to Naomi. Now he's going to take it a step further. But he's protecting her here in this story in that he sends her home in the morning before anybody knows that she was there to protect her reputation, not because she'd done anything wrong. But as you and I well know, it doesn't matter whether it's true, people talk. And if it seems like it's true. And so Boaz hears again, showing his his integrity and protecting her reputation and also provision and sending her home with the grain. And so she goes home and chapter four starts. And the next day, next morning, he doesn't go down to the courthouse and sign a deed. That's not how you did it back then. Back then it was a, an oral society. So instead of signing documents, they just, you just got 10 of the elders, the old guys who finished their work. They were retired in a sense, and they were around the gate most of the time. And you'd get 10 of them there and you do, you'd have a verbal contract between two people and 10 witnesses from the city were there. So that it, five years from now, somebody said, no, that's not the way it was. You'd haul the old guys out, and they'd say, yeah, we were there, and this is what was said. And So that settled it, and had a framework. So that's what happens. And this the exchange goes back and forth between Boaz and this other Redeemer. And both the other Redeemer says, I'll do it, until he finds out how much it's going to cost. And he didn't have the resources to redeem Naomi, Ruth and Naomi and the ex name, and still have enough for himself. Or at least that's what he said. But for whatever reason, he opts out of his, he he gives up his option, and so Boaz does this. And then that's what takes place there. And Boaz, in front of the city, makes the commitment and takes Ruth to be his wife. And the town blesses him and his family and pronounces a blessing on him. The witnesses do in verse 11. And the reason they refer back to Perez is because they were of that clan. Everybody in that town came down from this guy Perez. So when they say "Be like Perez," you know, "Be like," uh, may your house be like the house of Perez, verse twelve, whom Tamar Port of Judah. That that was their that was their George Washington. You know, that was their their ancestor that that was the, the big guy in the clan. So verse thirteen, Boaz takes Ruth to himself. She becomes his wife, he goes into her, and the Lord gave her conception. She'd been married for ten years to Balaam and didn't have a kid. Think about that. An interesting study, this is the total rabbit trail, we'll not go down too far, but an interesting study in the Bible is to look at women who couldn't have children, that God later allowed them to have children. And that at the time it was considered a curse, but the reality was God just had another plan. Their part of the story was for later. That's why we have to be careful that we don't interpret things ahead of time. So God kept Ruth from having children until Boaz was her husband so that they together could become part of that messianic line that would eventually, their great grandchild, son was David, and then all the way down through the Messiah. God was working out his big story, and they were just a little part of it. And for Ruth, it meant many, like many many sorrows and sadnesses, but now we come to the happy ending part and she can have a child and she has a child and then the women has you know, the women who had said when Naomi came back to at the beginning, is this Naomi? Can this be Naomi? And Naomi says, I'm not Naomi, I'm Mara, I'm bitter, God's been bad to me, let me brought me back empty handed, even though she had David's great grandma at her side at the time and didn't know it. They say, Blessed be the Lord, verse 14. He didn't leave you without a redeemer, and may his name be renowned in Israel. And I always thought that I was talking about Boaz. But if you read a little further, he shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age, for your daughter in law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. So the women in the community are all excited not because Boaz redeemed Ruth, which he did and Naomi, but because they had a child who's now can keep on Naomi's line, Elimelech. And it's Obed who, in their mind, was that redeemer of the name Elimelech, okay? So we got redeemers all over the place in the book of Ruth, okay? People who have come and who are making things better, who are getting people out of a jam. And of course you look at you think of the baby Obed who's there on Naomi's lap and you can't help thinking of another baby who's going to come along a thousand years later, six hundred years later who's going to be another baby who's going to be a redeemer too the Lord Jesus Christ. So happy endings in Ruth. For Ruth and Naomi, what did the redeemer do? They were in poverty they were both barren there was no way to carry on a name. There was no way to, to you could get the, the resources of the property to get out of poverty. They had no way, physically or economically, to get themselves out of the jam. And the Redeemer came, who was a near relative, and got them out of the jam. Paid what needed to be paid so that, quote unquote, they could live happily ever after. Those are the implications in the book of Ruth. And then, of course, pointing toward King David. That's what it meant for Ruth. But we see in the Old Testament over and over and over again that God is seen as the Redeemer of the nation. I'm going to go quickly because I want to get to the third part, but this is important to see too. Throughout the Old Testament, there's prayer after prayer after prayer. For example, Psalm 25 22. Redeem Israel, O God, out of all his troubles. When they say redeem Israel, buy us, Israel's in a jam. Israel's in a lot of jams. We can't get ourselves out. God, get us out. You only You have the resources for that. Psalm 44, 26. Rise up, come to our help. Redeem us for the sake of your steadfast love. Amen. Hey, um general prayers in the Old Testament, looking to God as the Redeemer, the one, the only one who can get them out of a situation they've got themselves into that they can't get out of. And then we have three historical cases in the Old Testament of national slavery that Israel found itself in where they looked to God as the Redeemer. The first, you know, is out out of Egypt. They were slaves in Egypt. And Deuteronomy 7, verse 8... It is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Israel couldn't get out of Egypt. They had no way of getting out of Egypt. The Lord came and brought them out of Egypt. He redeemed them out of that slavery. And we see that reaffirmed in First Chronicles 17:21 this prayer that's made to the Lord who's like your people Israel the one nation on earth whom God went to redeem to be his people making for yourself a name for great and awesome things in driving out nations before your people whom you redeemed from Egypt. So as a nation they saw God as their redeemer. They understood what that meant. You're in a jam you can't get yourself out, somebody else gets you out. Pays the price. And then later on in the history of Israel, they're going to go into slavery, into Babylon. Again, they're going to go into captivity, into slavery because of what they've done. And in Micah, the prophet Micah, speaking, giving the word of the Lord to the nation, says you shall go to Babylon. There you shall be rescued. There the Lord will redeem you. From the hand of your enemies. Again, that same thing. And I'm going through the whole Bible, but I want you to see the picture. Redemption is something that's all the way through the Bible. And then finally, the third national issue where God was seen as the Redeemer was when Christ came. The nation again was under slavery to the Romans. And now, this is the third time as a nation they are slaves as a nation. And we see in Luke chapter 2, verse 38, when Jesus is at the temple as a child, when Mary and Joseph bring him to the temple, this woman, I think it's Anna, I I forgot to look that up, she's a prophetess in the temple. It says, coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak to him, speak of him, to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. The whole nation was waiting again for the Redeemer to get them out of another mess they found themselves in with the Romans. And then, after the resurrection, when the people didn't understand what was going on yet, remember those two guys walking on the road to Emmaus in Luke 24? Shaking their heads. Jesus, why are you guys so downcast? And then he says, don't you know, you are you the only one who doesn't know what's going on? We thought this Jesus, it says in Luke 24, 21, he's been crucified, he's dead. And he's dead and they say, But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. We hoped that he was the one that was going to get us out of this mess nationally. So this idea of redemption is all through the Old Testament. And God was going to get them out of this mess. And Jesus did get them out of the mess, but not out of the Roman mess. God in Christ got them out of a bigger mess than that. Because their greatest slavery wasn't their slavery to Rome. Their greatest slavery was their slavery to sin. And his plan was to redeem them from much more than political oppression. And we see that all through the Old Testament. Prophecies, time and time again in the Old Testament, where God says, I'm going to redeem you from something more than your material problems. Psalm 130, verses 7 and 8. Oh Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love and with him is plentiful redemption and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Not just his enemies, but his iniquities. In Isaiah 44, 22, the Lord is speaking through Isaiah, I have blotted out your transgressions like a cloud and your sins like a mist. Return to me for I have redeemed you. In Hosea 13, verse 14, I shall ransom them from the power of Sheol. I shall redeem them from death. O death, where are your plagues? O Sheol, where is your sting? I recognize that from 1 Corinthians 15. The fulfillment there in Christ. But it was prophesied. we can go over and over, there's so many in the Old Testament where God was telling his people, I've got something bigger for you than just national deliverance. Oh, may God deliver us as Americans from looking for national deliverance instead of eternal salvation in Jesus Christ. So what does redemption mean for us? That's, That's an Old Testament painting, real quick brush strokes, of what redemption meant in the Old Testament. What does it mean for us? We don't use that term today. And yet as believers, it is critical for us. If we want to live the life that God wants us to live as his children, that we understand what this means. Because it's so central what's going on in these story again what are the basic elements something's lost we can't buy it back ourselves we can't get ourselves out of the mess ourselves so our close relative has to get us out of this and the good news this morning is as you know christ is our redeemer too He is the near kinsman. He is the close relative who shared in everything like we did, Hebrews tells us. At every point, he was a human being just like you, just like me. Now, he was also God, but he was also fully human. He is our kinsman. He is our redeemer. And we see the fulfillment of that. The the full proclamation of that is found in Revelation chapter 5. They're looking around, who's gonna, who's worthy to open the scroll and break the seals? Well that's the deed to the earth, okay, that's been lost through sin back in Genesis. Genesis to Revelation, we're doing the whole book again this morning. Who's gonna open those seals? And they couldn't find anybody. There was nobody, no human being who had what it took to reclaim the title to the property that we lost through sin in Adam. There's nobody. And then there's a cry out that says, I'm the Lion of Judah. He can do it. The Lion will do it. And then, I don't know if you, I never saw that before this. I just love getting ready to preach because I learned so much out of the Bible each week. In chapter 5 of Revelation verse 8 it talks about the Lion and all of a sudden in verse 9 Well, I don't know, maybe five or six. Anyway, in one verse it's the lion, in the next verse it's the lamb, And it's the same person. This mighty lion has now become a slain lamb. And around the throne they sing this song. And what do they sing? Chapter 5, verse 9 of Revelation. They sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed, or you redeemed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you've made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. You are worthy because you bought it back. You bought the property back, the earth that was under the control of the evil one until the salvation that came in Christ, and you bought the people back out of their slavery. You are the Redeemer with a capital R. And he's our Redeemer. We lost our freedom. And we are slaves to sin and its consequences before we put our faith in Christ. Scripture tells us the wages of sin is death. The consequences, the price that has to be paid because of our sin is death. That's got to be paid but also we become slaves to sin. It's not just that there's a debt we have to pay and we have to die because of our sin and our rebellion. But we actually enter into slavery to sin. In Romans 7, 14, as Paul says, I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. When we decided to do it our way instead of God's way, when Adam and Eve, did that first, but you and I, every one of us, by our own will, When we could make the choice for ourselves we sided with Adam instead of with God and we said we're going to run our lives our way not God's way and we sold ourselves as a slave to sin and we can't get ourselves out of the mess we're slaves to sin and we can't set ourselves free we can go to counseling we can get a lot of education we can get all kinds of behavior training and all that and we just can't get it out we're slaves to sin. And we're unable to set ourselves free. But like Paul said a little later in Romans chapter 7, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I can't get myself out. We, and we come to the point, well, first of all, you have to realize that the eternal mess that we're in. As long as you think you can you're doing okay and you can get yourself out I mean, what you've done isn't too bad, and you don't see that you need a redeemer, you're not gonna look for a redeemer. But it doesn't change the fact that you have a debt, an eternal debt that has to be paid. And that you're a slave to your own selfishness and self-centeredness. But once you realize that, and once you see who you are in yourself, you cry out like that publican in the temple, you remember him? God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Literally what he said was, God, be propitious. That means, God, if you don't pay the price for the wrath that is upon me because of my sin, I'm doomed. And he cried out to God to redeem him because he couldn't do it himself. And Jesus says, that man went home justified because he looked to the Redeemer. Christ became a human being like us. And he paid everything necessary to restore us to what God created us to be. The Lord has laid on him, Isaiah says in chapter 53, the iniquity of us all. All of us. Can you imagine I the suffering that I do because of my own Multiply that by six billion, seven billion, and the Lord laid upon him the iniquity of us all. In him, Paul says in Ephesians, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. And when Christ hung there on that cross with the iniquity of the entire human race, Upon his body and suffered that tremendous that we just will never find in that in all eternity. Suffered for every one of us, every single sin you and I have ever committed or ever will commit, and everyone else. Christ bore that upon himself, and then he said at the end, "It is finished." Now he didn't mean it's finally over, because that word teleus means it's complete. It's like a, 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 an artist finishing a masterpiece and what the last stroke, says, it's finished. He completed, he achieved redemption for humanity. He set us free. He took the paid price for our sins upon himself in his body. But it doesn't end there. And sometimes we forget he also set us free from our slavery to sin. Titus 2, verse 15, and just going to, Lord willing, in a few weeks, take us through that whole book. But Titus 2, 15 tells us that Jesus gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness. So he didn't just pay the price to get us the penalty for our sin. He set us free from our slavery to sin. As well, he gave himself to redeem us from all lawlessness. So, what difference does that make? Very briefly, take this and I chew on it because this is probably the most important part. The consequences of your sin are paid in full. They're paid in full. No matter how bad you think you behave, behaved, no matter how terrible things you've done in the past, it's paid for completely. Never think that there's anything left to pay. God will never punish you for your sin if you have hidden yourself in Christ. Now, he will discipline you so that you become all that you were meant to be in Christ. But there's nothing going on in your life if you have repented and put your faith in Jesus Christ that is just God punishing you for your sin and making you feel bad for your sin. If there are unpleasant things in your life, and there probably are, are, Those things are there for a redemptive purpose, and that is to bring you into the fullness of what Christ bought for you on the cross. So don't be discouraged. This is an eternal redemption, not a temporary one. Hebrews 9.12 tells us that he secured for us an eternal redemption. He didn't just make a down payment, and if you're really good, he'll keep paying on it. It's an eternal redemption. Once for all, paid for eternity, it's settled there is nothing that can take that away from you. And we're also, we're not in a performance-based relationship with God anymore because of that. You and I do not come to God and you know we have good days to pray and we think, well, maybe today I can pray because I, I did okay today, so I'm going to go and I'm going to ask God for a couple things today because my prayers will be more effective today. Nothing can be further from the truth. You are not in a performance-based relationship. We come boldly before the throne of grace because we're not coming before the throne of grace because of how we've done. We're coming boldly before the throne of grace because our Redeemer has paid the full price for us. And we are hiding in Christ. And so on your worst day, you can come to God just as boldly as you can come on what you think is your best day. And it's probably not your best day because you've probably got a whole lot of pride going on that you don't even know about. But the point is, every day is the same because the redemption has been paid for eternity. And you can always, whatever the problem is, go to Him. Go to Him boldly because the price has been paid completely because He became a curse for us. Death isn't the end, but the beginning because there's what's called in the Bible a day of redemption. We're looking forward to that. We're looking forward in our spirit, the, the spirit the spirit inside us, Romans 8.23, grows inwardly as we eagerly await our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Even our bodies are going to be redeemed. That's still yet to come because we've been sealed for that day of redemption. Death is not the end but the beginning. That's why you and I can rejoice when a brother or a sister dies. Because it's not the end. We can weep because we're going to miss him. And we can weep for those who are going to be hurt because he's gone. But we can rejoice because it's not the end. Because the price has been paid completely. Our slavery to sin has been broken as well. He redeemed us from all lawlessness. We've been set free. And it's time for us to live like that. How we live matters because we are now slaves of righteousness. Paul said to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 6, you are not your own, you were bought with a price. You're set free from slavery, but that doesn't mean you go out and do whatever you want. If you understand the gospel, you know that he saved you from sin for himself. And that's why Peter says in 1 Peter 1.17, conduct yourselves with fear throughout your time of exile. On the earth. For it was not with such things as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers. So, how can we keep ourselves from worshiping with a redeemer like that? How can we stop thanking God for our redemption in Christ? Jeff likes to quote the verse of the Bible, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. And I appreciate that. We should be saying it together. We should be reminding each other. But also, not only let the redeemed of the Lord say so, let the redeemed of the Lord live like it. Show that you've been redeemed and you understand that by boldness in the, before the throne of grace, even on your worst day. By never accepting sin in your life. You can you can explain your sin. You know, your spouse was a jerk. That's why you did what you did. That might explain it, but that never excuses it. Don't don't be deceived. You may always be able to explain your sin. You can never excuse your sin. And as a child of God, you say, "Yes, that was not what I was made for." I confess it. I agree with God that it's wrong and it's worthy of death. And I receive. Again, redemption in Jesus Christ. Whatever jams you've gotten yourself into the past, in, into into the past, there's nothing more serious than the one we got ourselves into when we chose to run life our own way and make our own decisions. Christ has redeemed us for that, with a, by a price that is just beyond imagination. So, as we redeemed of the Lord, let's live like it. Ruth had a happy ending. They only had a happy ending. We have the happiest ending of all. Our redeemer lives. The price has been paid and we can go rejoicing. So let's live like it, shall we? Father, we just praise you and worship you because of what you've done for us in Christ and we don't have, we only have a slight glimpse of what that is. And I pray you'd open our eyes, more. As that old prayer, Lord, show us our sin And show us our Savior. Make this book live to us. Reveal to us our own hearts that are so deceitful above everything else that we might look to our Savior because you've redeemed us completely in Christ. May we never doubt that. I pray for my brothers and sisters this morning who are down in the dumps because they finally are seeing themselves as they really are. May they realize that that is a step to full and complete healing in Jesus Christ. And may they embrace what you've done for them. And Lord, may each of us never excuse our sin. May we take it to you and cover it by the blood of Jesus Christ and go rejoicing. And we look forward to the day when we'll all be around your throne singing your praises, Lord, because you are the only one worthy. And we praise you in Jesus' name.